This is the Adulting I Hate It Here podcast. Ciao. Adulting is good. I want to go home. I hate it here. I hate it here. I hate it here. I want to go home. I hate it here. I hate it here. I hate it here. Yes, yes. Welcome back, my fellow adultees and adult adjacents. This is the Adulting I Hate It Here podcast and YouTube. I'm your host, I am Queen T, I am Q W E N T E E. Same thing on Instagram. It's okay to call me Queen, despite what the girls are talking about right now. So, FYI. Um, so, I do have a special guest today. I have Trip Fontaine. He's a well traveled hip hop spoken word artist out of Ohio. And I'm glad to have him because there's a couple conversations I wanted to have, and I felt like he was the perfect person to have the conversation with. What's up? What is good? What is good? I appreciate you having me. Um, and some interesting times, and I think conversation is important right now, so this is dope. That's what's up. That's what's so up. First of all, how are you? Are you yeah. sleeping well? Better now. Um, when stuff first started going down, really, really when the pandemic first had it shut in, like even before all of the the violence disrupted and and all of that like it was messing with me i don't like being trapped in the crib for real um being away from my community from my village but then like that compounded with everything else that began to to surface it, it was it was tough it was tough i actually wasn't really sleeping too much at all um but just talking to some of my old heads talking to to some of my people I've managed to regain balance um, and gain gain some gratitude in the midst of everything. So I'll say I'm cool. What about you? Um, I'm doing the best I can because it's like I can't tear myself away from the phone. And it's like I'm a masochist, apparently, because I just keep scrolling and I keep watching it and I keep absorbing into what's going on. And it's like I'm, I'm trying to find a balance between pulling myself away and being informed so it's kind of a struggle right now but hey man i'm here last guys oh guys i apologize i know there wasn't an episode last week look i literally just felt so emotionally overwhelmed and drained that i had nothing to give y'all and i didn't want to be fake and just start talking about random things because we're at a point where you're going to talk about the thing or don't talk about anything at all. It's hard to really talk around everything that's going on. And as a creator and as a content creator, I didn't want to be fake and phony with y'all and, and do something that just putting content out just because every time that I put something out is either for myself or to, to evolve something. So if you're pissed about it, like, girl, get over it. Um, so, a few topics I want to talk about today. Now, for those that have been under a rock, um, and you have not listened to J. Cole, Snow on the Bluff, and then realized whatever the hell was going on with a, a female rapper named No Name, and... There's been a lot going on. So for those that don't know, I'll go ahead and just basically explain the situation and then we'll go ahead and chop it up. But basically, uh, J. Cole put out a song. Well, actually, let me backtrack because No Name tweeted basically that, you know, the rappers that are very pro and everything, she didn't see them visually present on social media or tweeting about it or retweeting, or retweeting you know, you know. that 
only to to find out that of course Jay Cole is right there in the streets with everybody else and he didn't really use it as a photo op. He never uses it for photo op. He doesn't bring photographers. He doesn't bring bodyguards. He just goes out there and does it. Like for fuck's sake, he drives drives. He drives a bike. A bike. A bicycle as transportation. This is the person that you're holding up to this weird standard. So it's like of course he deleted the tweet, but of course he saw it already. Of course he responded and then it was just a shitstorm of black women, black men doing what we do for like the five million three, I don't know. I don't even have a number, but we've done it so many times that it's getting exhausted. So one, I just wanted to get your thoughts on it and what do you think was the trigger thing in the song of Snow on the Bluff that triggered so many black women? Um I think because even I actually know hear about my response to the record and that I thought it was refreshing. I thought it was very honest. Um, even in his flaw, but I, I think where he shot himself in the foot was approaching her about her tone. Mm, wow. uh, more now than ever, this kind of, not kind of, this, especially on social media, there's a zero tolerance for addressing a, a black woman's tone in any fashion. It doesn't necessarily matter what it is, especially as a black man, for you to tell her a black woman to watch her tone that's kind of a no-go right now but then for you to make that record at the timing uh or, or at the time that there's so much violence um being brought to to light against black women you know it, it's just it's ill time i don't necessarily think he's wrong in expressing himself especially for him to say like hey bro i might not be who y'all think i am um, I might, I don't think I know as much as y'all projecting on me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even really be reading up on stuff like that, bruh. Now the, the, yeah, I, I mean, just to answer your question, I think that's where he shot himself in the foot. I think coming at her about her tone was, was just like, right now, even, even on the, like, if you weren't necessarily on some cancel J. Cole, cause even, even on a, as a human, I understand what he's saying, like, as a, as a person, um, but just like I was like, dang, bro, this probably wasn't the time. There's no good time, realistically. Right. Right. But right. I'm like, I'm like, ah, even if you probably would have would have waited the next week or something, bro. Like you don't shouldn't did that right now. Yeah, I feel differently. Like I feel like one, he didn't say watch your tone. He said your tone bothers me, which is just saying that like I have an emotional reaction to what he said. It hit me in a space, so this is what I'm explaining to you. And so for me, I guess I didn't really get all of the vitriol that everybody got out of those lyrics because for one, it was saying a couple things. To me, it said, hey. As, as smart as y'all think I am, as amazing as y'all think I am, I'm a regular ass dude. Um, I know regular ass things. And she was fortunate enough to grow up with parents who had the know-how, who understood exactly what was going on and, and uh, educated her. So she grew up with a certain knowledge that he did not. So if you do know more than me, then, you know, hit me up. You know, they're in the same industry. So I don't think it would have been difficult for her to reach out to him, reach out to his team, his manager, whomever. Yo, what are you doing? Because I don't see anything that you've been doing. 
hit them up on the quiet, but it's always like I get so frustrated because of the performative thing that everybody does, this whole drag culture of yeah. let me tell you about yourself. Yeah. And it's like black people don't have that like let me holler at you in the corner real quick. Let me talk to you over here and say it in the house. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of us grew up with that mentality of like what goes on in the house stays in the house. Mm-hmm. But we don't do that with our dirty laundry amongst each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, we will air each other's dirty laundry. We will put it all out there. And it's okay because that's transparency. But then you have everybody else. You have every other ethnicity, race, whatever, culture, watching us be this way. And it's never on the other end. We never get to see them act out like that in public. So when I felt like... He responded to that. I was just like, he wasn't saying anything horrible. It was just, your tone bothers me because if you do know something, school me, tell me. And so I will get to where you are, but don't chastise me in public and then delete it. And then she came out. I know she came out with a song after. Did you listen to it? Yeah. She's amazing. So, I mean, I can't, I can't take away from her talent. It's all on fire. But you don't get to throw stones and hide your hands. Like, you don't do that, you know? I, I you do have a problem. kind of initiated it. You know what I mean? I, I, I definitely have a a problem with narrative. Like, and I, I keep talking about that. I'm I'm yelling it, actually. Mm-hmm. That we, there's a narrative issue. And, and the narrative that we're subscribing to is not allowing us to have a productive conversation. And that that's really what has to happen. It's not just a conversation. It has to be a productive conversation. It doesn't matter how many times we yell at each other and talk over each other. If we're not getting to the point that we can reach some type of actionable thing, however this convo needs to. So when I, I fully agree with you, like the J. Cole record was like 95 percent critique of himself. It was. And, and they took that thing. Because they, again, timing, that's where I think he was off. I I don't think he's wrong in saying anything he said, especially if someone is addressing him. And that's why I'm saying on some human shit. Like, I'm like, hey, don't come at me reckless like that. Like, he could have took that and went left. Instead, he said, like you you said, like, bro, if you got knowledge, if you got some game for me, holler at me. Give me the game, ghost. I, I said something, uh, it was either on Twitter or Facebook. Um, I, I've been a little more active on Facebook, oddly enough, because in, in my experience, people have been less disrespectful there, even in disagreement. They love Jesus on Facebook. <laughs> I ain't got into no religious arguments on there, thank God. But uh, I, I was saying, like, we, first, first and foremost, cancel culture is like a crutch for narrow-mindedness. Um, it prevents you from having very necessary conversations with people that don't agree with you in order to either broaden or sharpen your own perspective. You know what I mean? People just like, oh, I don't agree with that. That shit problematic. You're canceled. Like that doesn't leave any room for growth. It doesn't leave any room for productivity. And it doesn't actually affirm that you know what you're talking about because a lot of people believe shit because someone else said so or someone that they like said so or or they can identify with certain parts of something and, and that thing said so. 
but they don't actually know why they really believe that. And that's so important. It's not to say that anybody is right or wrong, but it's like a lot of people can't actually say why they believe what they believe. And that's why they choose to cancel. That's why they choose to become combative immediately, because you actually have no knowledge and research under what you stand on. It's much easier to cancel or to argue. I like no names response. And the fact that he retweeted it on his page and everything let you know that he's the person that we all think he is. You know what I'm saying? Like, this was more of just constructive criticism to me. To me. And so, that brings me to another question because um, I feel like, like you said, with the cancel culture and the drag culture and let me tell you and the well actually culture... All of that going on simultaneously. And I just want to know, like, why do you think people idolize celebrities the way that they do? Marketing. I, Marketing? I, yeah. They're, they're, they're made to seem like so much more. Status. The way status is marketed. The way money is, is marketed. And these people are at the intersection of both. Like, you have status, money, you have a talent. And we market all of these things to you to be so grand. You have exposure to so many people. You have influence over so many people and other people want that. And we, we, we make these people bigger than what they are. Um, a lot of times bigger than what they want to be. And I, I think it's always been that way from the days of royalty to now, like celebrities are what well, celebrities have always been a thing, really. Um, whether you were a friend of the royal family or, or something like that, you know what I mean? Like there's always been kind of that inner circle and that happens to be Hollywood in America, I guess. I don't know. Do you remember that interview J. Cole did with Angie Martinez? Yeah. So in that, it's almost like he foreshadowed what was going on right now, kind of, you know, because he was speaking of just the fact that like, if you don't feel whole as a person, you are to cling to things and people and situations to fill those gaps in you. So he's like, don't use me for that, basically. Don't yeah. use me to fill your hole. Don't use me to fill your insecurity. Don't, you know, like, I'm on my own journey and I'm already trash. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm doing the best that I can. So I can't also, you know, cape for you as well. It's like, I love that you love me, but not like that. It gets to a point, like the whole standing, standing and like, I love Beyonce, Giselle, Unicorn Whispers, Noah's Carter, but there's a level I'm not willing to go. It's just as a rational human yes. being, it's a level I'm not willing to go. But if you see Beyonce as the end-all, be-all, then I start to think there's something wrong with you. Because it's not Beyonce. When people say they hate Beyonce, I'm like, do you hate her? Or do you hate her following? Do you hate everything that surrounds Beyonce? Or do yeah. you hate her? You don't hate her. You hate what people do to her, you know, her image and, and who she is. And it's like, I always sympathize with celebrities sometimes because it's like, it's trash to want to give the world this talent you've been gifted with. And in exchange, they feel like they own you. And it's yeah. like, it don't work like that. So I love how Rihanna just like, it's like she's potty training us really on like, she's going to give you whatever she wants to give, even if that's nothing. Frank Ocean is another person that gives you what they want. And then they get out of the way because they don't need the extra stuff but a lot of times when you have people who are sitting at their cubicles or working from home now 
who, you know, you're trying to do your work, but you're also in the shade room under the comments saying what celebrities should and shouldn't be doing. It's like, girl, your 15 minute break is up. You don't get to keep talking about these people. You know what I'm saying? So there's something to that, that we gravitate to celebrities and put them on these, um, what do you call pedestals. You know what I'm saying? I feel like we put them on these pedestals only to knock them off when they're not as perfect as we think they should be. It's like, be everything I'm not. And if you're not, uh, you cancel. And we expect them to be. Because, because they're a product. They are. And that, that's why I said, like, that's why I said it's a marketing thing. It's because, especially now more than ever, people feel like if I give you time, if I give you money, I give you retweets, I give you double taps, I do own a part of you. Whether I expect entertainment, whether I expect agreement, whether I expect validation, there's a product because this is transactional now. Yeah. So yeah. the same way I feel like if, if, if all of a sudden my iPhone doesn't work, uh, now I'm, I'm, we cancel the iPhone, I'm getting a new phone. We feel like we could do that to people by, mm. by so heavily marketing a person, you, you dehumanize them a little bit. Um, and so we feel like somehow our morality or our, our ideals are so righteous enough that now we can look at another person and say, like, you don't fit this. So you're canceled. Like You have to dehumanize something in order to do that. Again, even celebrity worship, that's it. We have a narrative problem. Like, we don't think that anything is wrong with that. Not, not to, not to be a fan. Fanhood, I'm shit. I'm super fans of a couple people. Dog, like, I, I look at how hard some of these people ride for other people, how invested they get in the, in the beef of these other people. And I'm like, dog, what, what are you not maintaining in your own life that you have this much to invest in another motherfucker? I'm not famous or not. Like, famous or not, that's a whole nother individual. Some of y'all got kids, dog, like on some cool shit. But that's how it is now. Uh, everybody is very involved in everything else. And so what was the, the quiet blessing in quarantining was the fact that you couldn't do anything. You couldn't be anyone. You couldn't make yourself more special. Everyone was regular, degular. Everyone's trying to figure it out. No one knows what the hell is going on. And that equaled the playing field in a sense that everybody's starting from scratch in some way, shape, or form. And you've never in history had this amount of time to sit alone, to be in the house. And so I feel like sometimes the way that Twitter is specifically, it's everybody trying to escape their reality. It's like, I don't want to think about my own personal problems. I don't want to think about these bills, too. I don't want to think about it. So I'm just going to get on the timeline and bullshit for, you know, an hour and some change or however long you're going to be on there. But you do it actively. Like I'm not, I told you, like I found myself like having a difficult time ripping myself away from the phone. Like I'll put it down and then I pick it back up. There's no notification. I just pick it up. So it, it's, it's funny that you say that, that you say that like, you know, a lot of people jump on there to escape their reality and they don't address the negative part of that. And that, yeah, like a lot of times you get to be more boastful than you are, more sexy than you are, more loud than you are. 
but you also intake more trauma than you actually have. You experience more violence than you actually do. You experience more negativity than what's in your actual life and you're inviting that in. And we take these things that we experience through social media as truth in our own life. And it, it skews our view. It's not to say that these things aren't happening. It's not to say that these things are, are not worth addressing. It's to say that we carry the intensity of someone else with us now. And so when it comes to interaction and, and viewing our own community, the, the immediate community around us, that skewed perspective matters. Because, because where you actually build, where the work is being done, where it's necessary is in your community. Yes, we have a, a national, international diac, but we have an issue. Yes, we have a, a collective issue that needs to be addressed, but we don't have the numbers to address it like that. So, so a lot of what we have to do, what needs to be done, has to be done in, in community. It has to be done in proximity. The same way the damage is done. Um, That's a word right there. Because we, we don't look at it that way, depending on the thing that we're talking about. Um, so, I, I again, like I, I understand like people wanting to get on Twitter and escape and stuff like that. But you have to look at what you're escaping to and, and what you're taking in and what you're logging off with. Because. What it'll cause you to do sometimes is, is let's say I'm taking in a bunch of black men bashing black women and I have dope ass black women in my life, but I've been hurt by a couple. Now I'm overlooking the support system that I have. Um, judging the women around me that have been unrealistic standards. I'm, I'm, projecting my trauma onto people. Oh, shit, I'm projecting other dudes' traumas onto people, you know what I'm saying? Like, And now I'm, I'm maneuvering inefficiently in my own community uh, because I'm not taking a proper assessment of what's around me as opposed to taking the influence of the entire Twitter sphere. You know what I'm saying? And it, again, Twitter cool for like bullet points and shit like that. But like you got to use the context of what's around you. You can't you can't use yeah. Twitter for context, and that's what people be trying to do. Like that really be motherfuckers' bibliography a lot of time. It be Twitter, um, and so yeah, like I I think we just we just got to be careful with that shit. Like you got we we got to disengage from really globalized narratives in general. Them not for us. Like we not the globe. Um, I I don't think there's any reliability for national news from national news as far like for black people because we're such a small percentage of the popula population that it actually wouldn't make too much sense to run some type of national news for us. Mm -hmm. um, anything that hits that large of a platform, they're either making palatable or divisive for white people. And so where, do go? where do you go to find the truth? Because everywhere you look is some manipulation of the truth your local news you can call somebody about what's going on in your city chances are you knew what the hell was going on before the news did it's 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 how we weigh shit it's not that we concern with national narratives it's that it's that we weigh them harder than local ones you can you even see that with with 
how people weigh voting for the president by versus how much they weigh voting for the mayor. True. When federal law like affects you last. So you would assume the same with news. Federal news affects you last. It's not too many things that happen at a national level or that have been nationalized that are going to have an immediate effect on you versus some shit that happened in your city. Again, you can call and see what was going on with that. You can you you might know who that was. You might be able to get involved with with something like that. Um so yeah, but it's, it's really important that we we prioritize. Speaking of prioritize, I had a follow up question. So with No Name, with J Cole, with the the black women, black men debate for like the millionth time, and just considering also all that black women have endured, um, and even beyond that, just just the role of a black woman in general. Do you feel like black women are above the top? No. Um, I don't think any of us are above reproach. <clears throat> I think first, firstly, like we have to, again, and this, this is why I challenge narrative. A lot of times when we go to measure each other, it is with the ruler of white supremacy. Ooh, it is based on what we think a white man, a good white man is doing and what a good white woman is doing. And we try to put black attributes on it, but foundationally it's a very white thing and so i think the first assessment the first fingers pointed have to be itself and i have to look at where i'm coming from when i when i throw these stones these stones uh at black men and women and i think that's what's missing on, on both sides really is that our requests of one another are very patriarchal very elitist very uh you know, very, very, very white supremacist. Uh, and it's really not even efficient for the black community to operate that way. What a damn gem. What a gem. Yes. I think we also get into comparative. We, we get into like competitions with the trauma a lot. Like all oh, black oh, women. Been, yeah. I feel like it's kind of like how America hasn't confronted slavery the way that they should have and allowed us the space to be angry, to be spiteful, to whatever emotion was going to come after they say our bad, after they say, I apologize, we apologize on behalf of this entire country and allow a space for black people to vent and be angry or to celebrate or to do whatever, to have whatever emotions we're going to have so that we can get to the other side. Because I feel like a lot of times what's happening right now is we're trying to force ourselves to the other side when there needs to be a moment of just acceptance and just being able to vocalize where you hurt me. You know what I'm saying? I'm a person that's like, if you've done something to me, if you've slighted me, I don't want to continue to have a conversation with you unless we're going to talk about the thing yeah. so we can get over it. I can't gloss over it and pretend like it's not going on the same way that America has glossed over everything like it's not going on. That's why we're so enraged. That's why we're burning shit. That's why we're rebelling. That's why all of that is happening because there has never been a space in time historically, that black people have just been left the fuck alone. And there hasn't been a time for us to just mourn and feel how we want to feel without there being, you need to 
you need yep. to, and everybody has this, this agenda for what black people need to do, but you don't know how to do it because there is no initial conversation of just acknowledging the pain. Black women and black men need to sit together and no matter what it is, you can't leave the room. You have to sit here, listen to how you hurt me. And I have to sit here and listen to how you hurt, to how I hurt you. And we have to get past that because if we don't get that and we don't start trusting each other, then we're always going to be at a disadvantage because we're not united. We're not a united front. So it doesn't matter what's going on in a, a Caucasian household. They are a united front when they leave that house. No matter what that white man has to do and no matter what that white woman has done, he has to protect her at all costs. And so that's why black women and no name and a lot of black women felt so angry, you know, and feel so angry when men violate us in some way, because it's all of this mustered up pain historically that we've never been able to go. You did this to me without rebuttal, without name calling, without all of the negative energy that a lot of men give just in complete ignorance of what, even if they didn't do it. That's another thing. Understanding that she's not yelling at you. She's not mad at you. She's not insecure about you. It's cycled trauma that women deal with. So when I asked, do you think that women are like above reproach? And I'm glad you said that because it's like, no, we're not. A lot of times it's like, oh, well, the black woman has been through so much, so we know what's right all the time. Your mama know what's right. Your grandma know what's right. Black women know what's right. But mm -hmm. there's ways to have constructive conversations that doesn't involve demeaning us or making us feel stupid, small, insignificant. Like all of those things play into the conversation that needs to be had. Oh, yes. And and again, this is this is the danger of not addressing self and addressing narrative. Um, what we know of equality right now, what we know of justice right now is based on the perceived justice and equality to a white man. And so when I'm approached as a black man about what I've done, how I've oppressed, what I've taken, it is me stopping the black woman from an equality based on the white man. And I don't even mean that on no like, like hotel shit. Just we have addressed the very root of it. We because we haven't addressed slavery. We yell about it, we angry about it still and rightfully so. But we as a community ain't really sat down and like you saying, saying like, oh shit, this is what is done to us. And this is why I behave this way and look at you this way. And this is why you expect this thing of me and all we have to look at. Because we were stripped of our own ideals and culture. All we have to look at is white people. And until we realize how hard we've looked at them and emulated them, we're not going to get to the root of our problem either. Because at where black women are duly affected and why we have to address patriarchy, because patriarchy in its nature is anti-woman. And then American ideal in its nature is anti-black. And so for the black woman to land at both those crosshairs, we have to address both of those belief systems simultaneously, especially because education and, and, and entrepreneurship, black women by demographic are in the lead. And so when we start to look at facts, 
we love, we high key being irrational by still subscribing to that because the black community ain't qualified to play that game. Mm. And it hasn't yielded us the results we've been looking for thus far. So even if black women weren't in the league, we still be irrational to continue to subscribe to that narrative. So we do need to have a very immediate conversation, but we have to have the grace um, enough with ourselves and each other to understand that this is going to be ugly. There's no easy way out of it. There's no way around it. Just like if you want to lose weight, slim tummy teas and it's all these things. But like, girl, there's really no way around it. But eating right and working out, it's, it's just it's just not there's no sustainable way. So just like in that reference, there is no way around us not confronting the trauma and damage and pain and ugliness that's been created for all of this time. And yeah, it's not our our fault. Like we didn't do it. We know that. But we have to give people, like you said, that grace. We have to give people that compassion. But I think where that starts with the fact that people don't give themselves the compassion they will give someone else. You know, you will kill yourself. You'll think about it over and over. The things that you let yourself get away with, you will never let somebody do or vice versa. You know, these things, like you said, there's a conversation that needs to be had about self. But I think when we have these kind of conversations so publicly, like with J. Cole and No Name, and that really brought out a lot of ugliness in everything because you have women who are sensitive right now, like, and Righteously so, because everybody mm-hmm. is so full right now. Everybody is, is getting to a point where you can't hold it anymore. And it's kind of difficult to have those conversations or of women even admitting they were violated. Like, even thinking, like, as a woman, like, you can sit back to time passes and you're like, oh, I was violated. I didn't even realize. You know, because you start to learn more things and you get older and certain things become more apparent to you that wasn't apparent when you were 20. It wasn't apparent when you were 24. It's only when some time passes and you go, oh, wait, no, that was, that was absolutely horrible. I didn't realize I just let that pass. And like you said, it's because of that uh, patriarchal structure that we have been aligning ourselves with that we don't really comply with. So what do you think could be a starter of a remedy? Heal. Mm. I think that's the only thing that we can do. See, and again, this is the problem with the patriarchal narrative as painting women out to be lesser than it's not even just that it paints woman out to be lesser than it paints feminine out to be lesser than which is more damaging overall because i don't recognize or value the feminine so i cannot value the femininity in a woman um the relationship between man and woman is is very transactional and so again it's necessary that, that we as black people question that why we would subscribe to that like, I ain't never been in no function in the house that a woman wasn't running. Not no black house. You might have a point there, because I don't even. And, and so I, I can't even recall a time where true patriarchy was happening in front of me, not in front of me. I, I'm not going to say that that doesn't exist in the community. In my experience, I ain't been in too many houses where even if daddy felt like he was running something, it was her. Um, he brought his check home and he had his beer. He sat down. He'd be quiet. And 
so we we again we have to have a realistic conversation about the the way that we measure each other the way that we measure self and and us again us as men like healing that is because such that's a great point i don't mean to cut you off but that's that's <laughs> such a great point that you were bringing up and also just that like I said, and I said this on previous episodes, there is a broken trust between black women and black men that hasn't been healed. And a lot of what Tripp and I are both saying is just it's centering around yourself. It's centering around where your boundaries lie, where you learned a certain structure from, where you learned your place. I think that's very critical. Mm-hmm. Is at the age, what age did you learn your place? Because it's like you can walk in a elementary school class. I would say even younger than that. Let's say kindergarten, right? You go in a kindergarten class and you go, okay, who's the strongest? And every little boy in there will knock you over to tell you who is the strongest. And then you get to another age, you get to second grade and you go, who's the strongest? And all the kids point to the kid that knows who he is. At what age did you learn? What your place was. Are you the funny one? Are you the fat one? Are you the loud one? Those are roles that were given to you that you never decided to take off. You never decided to question, reprogram. And then we're wondering why we're in these spaces where we're struggling with people. And it's like, yeah, because you're struggling with their role. They're playing their role from whenever. And you're playing your role. And it's like you have to get to a point where you have to take that off. And have a more healthy relationship with reality. When I see all these couples and couple goals and all that, I'm like, oh my God, people don't like y'all? It's basic affection that like, oh, goals. I'm like, no one likes you? Has it been that bad? Like, yeah. (laughs) It starts to make me worry that just you've never felt a person hug you like purposefully. It's, It's gotten to a point where everybody's fantasizing every little thing. Mm-hmm. Everything is a thing now. <laughs> and it's getting to a weird place where you can't find authenticity or it's rare to find authenticity. And that's because that's the, the pri- people prioritize what they take in instead of what's actually around them. Like, I, it is so important that your first and most important context is where you actually are. Not not the songs you listening to, not what you saw on Facebook or Twitter, not your homie's business, not your 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 homegirl business, not your your partner's business, your actual life. And because of the 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 weight of social media, and especially for black people right now, it's very heavy. And that's why I keep telling them to control the narrative, bruh. I, I be I be sounding like an asshole on Twitter. I, I know, and I mean I'm an asshole in real life, like on some cool shit. Um, <laughs> some cool shit. But I, I had said a, a minute ago, like, oh shit, they ramping back up on the police brutality footage. Like, what's going on? Cause where I'm from, bro, like this ain't news. Uh, and I I'm, I don't mean that to say it's not a worthy cause, but I don't think people understand just how quiet racism is, like just how arrogant racism can be structurally. You know what I'm saying? Like, but they killing black people on camera. Their cameras, like the There's body no camera. So. But and, and you have to understand that, like, for, for instance, like a snotty nose is not the totality of a cold you have a whole virus that manifests in different ways and by only attacking your snotty nose you're not attacking the cold like the virus is still cool 
it has no problem with you attacking the snotty nose. We have to look at racism the same way sometimes. Like, bro, the system doesn't mind if you attack police brutality because that's a symptom of something much, much greater. Policing is a symptom of, of feeding black people and poor people into the prison system. And the prison system is about legislation that kept slavery legal. There's a there's a much larger umbrella that that has to be addressed. I feel like sometimes with even I get so frustrated because I feel like we're depending on the same corrupt system to provide us justice from another yeah. corrupt system, and it's like I feel like police and the, the, the different um, racial situations going on across the country, hanging of black men, and they're writing off as suicides, even though they just made it illegal to lynch a man like a month ago. It's it's really astronomical when you really think about it. So all of those things are going on uh, simultaneously. And I feel like with black people, we have to find a space where we have our own things. And I know it's hard to have. We we know about the Tulsa, Oklahoma. We know about those things. But like I was saying, I'm like, we need our own social media. We need our own everything. We need our own language. We need our own flag. We need our own colors. We need our own because we've never had it. When we did have our own, they, they took black people from different uh, countries, you know, with different language, different dialects, different tongues, different tribes. So there was no way to communicate. There was no way to come together. But so we don't have a language. We don't. There's so much that we're lacking because every time we create something, it's infiltrated. So even with this movement, with the Black Lives Matter movement, you're seeing others out there creating chaos like everything else. And it's like it's that we don't have our own. So, uh, I'm a, I'm a like triple back because I, I done double back already. Narrative, um, it, it really does matter. So, a part of racism that's very, very quiet, even as loud as it as it is, but it's so quiet that we don't necessarily address it, is disinformation. Like we are purposely fed the wrong thing. And when the information you take in is wrong, then you're not able to make a proper decision. And so by subscribing to mass media narratives, we are not taken into consideration when those narratives are written. And these are written to make white people feel a certain type of way. Our response to racism is measurable at this point, especially because we're such a small percentage of the population. Like we're actually measurable in how we respond. Even the scale of our, our violence is measurable. And so when I talk about focusing on the local narrative, you have to address what your actual community needs. Um, you have to address how things have happened historically in your community. So like the way black people are fed our history is with the romanticization of, of violence, uh, which America does in general. We, we romanticize tragedy. Um, and so Tulsa, Oklahoma, while always worthy of being observed is tragedy because it was it was bombed of course there was a massacre but even here in ohio like doing some homework on my own city and then with my pops being like 66 there was all black everything on the west side of day in my dad's lifetime they they got suits from black people they got food from black people they got dairy and and vegetables and fruit from black people same thing here in Columbus, except it was a little more white collar 
and the the quiet thing that racism does and what it did in a lot of places was that it built highways. It's not always bombs. Yes, it's not always bombs. It's not always fire. It's not always murder. We have to plug into the narrative of our own communities to understand how racism affected us. You know, again, I will observe and, and take note of a Tulsa, Oklahoma, but that's not what happened where I'm from. I have to look at the prevention of eminent domain encroaching on black communities. That's what I need to be wary of. And in a lot of cities, that may be what we need to be wary of. So, again, like the the national narrative that we're fed, we should consider it. We should observe it. We should study it. But the most important context we have, even in healing, is is local. It's the people around you. It's the places around you. Um, because you, you have no greater understanding of the needs of black people than the black people that you come from. And, and so the, the greatest impact you could ever make is at home and, and teaching other people to see value at home and, and investing at home. Like even all of my long term plans have to do with Ohio. It's not that I'm not, I'm never going to leave. It's not that I don't ever want to live anywhere else, but I struggled in. West Dayton, Ohio. I know exactly what them kids going through. It was a food desert when I grew up. It was a food desert now. Um, you know, schools are underfunded. So, so I, I know how to make impact there because we have to be efficient and trying to fight racism like nationally is not efficient. We don't have the numbers for that. And we don't have enough unity with other people of color for that either. Because if we approached it that way, maybe we could start to you know, approach things nationally. But like, again, I think right now and my fault, I'm low key just rambling. But like, I think black people need to go in the house. We need to close the blinds, lock the doors, cut the lights off. And we need to holler at each other. Uh, neighbors don't need to know what the fuck we got going on. White people don't need to know. what the. F- and I've been telling black people this, bro, is that the conversation that we need to have desperately, white people can't be a part of. And I think easily we could have a conversation without white people being physically in the room, but we have to remove white people from here when we have in this conversation. Um, because we don't actually have an accurate picture of freedom. We don't have an accurate picture of equality. We don't have an accurate picture of protection. We don't have an accurate picture of a lot of the concepts that we think we got down. Even justice. We don't even know what justice looks like because we've never seen it face to face. We don't know at all. And that's why, like, again, like I understand the sentiment. I really do from both sides. I understand, like, why why black women feel unprotected. I understand how they are unprotected. But we never had protection, though. Back to the slave field, the black man has not been able to protect the black woman since then. Up until now, like there, it was never a thing. Like I, I, I feel y'all. I feel what y'all asking for. You feel me? Like, cause it should be like that. You shouldn't have to worry about walking down the goddamn street in your own neighborhood. But what you imagine protection to be has unfortunately never existed for us in totality. And we don't write the narrative that makes you suffer in silence either. We subscribe to it like everybody else does. Like on the humble. I don't even know if most black women know how much more black women suffer because we're deprived of information. 
information would tell you how much black women got stacked against them. But we don't have that. So, so again, bro, like we, we really got to have a conversation with each other and we have to accept the ugliness that come with it. And we have to have the grace to move forward through that ugliness. And I don't think a lot of people are, are really prepared for that right now, because as you said, we haven't even had the space to breathe. But that's why thing, to that's, say that this happened to me, we haven't had that. And I feel like that even divulges into personal relationships, interpersonal relationships, where there are so many parent child relationships that are severed because the parent refuses to just say, I did this to you and I'm sorry or I'm trying or Yay. Whatever consciousness I did that in was the best that I knew. Because if I knew better, I would have done better, but I didn't know, so that's what you got. But say that a thing is a thing. That's very, that's something very, very strong with me. I've had since I was like a kid. Like every time I got in trouble in school, it was for my mouth and it was because something happened and you're not going to pretend like it did not happen. Right. You're just going to honky dory and go on like everything's fine. Like I'm not one of those people. And not that I'm confrontational. I don't mind confrontation. Like, it doesn't bother me. But I'm not trying to be confrontational. I need you to know what you did to me. So we yeah. both know what you did. And then at that point, if you decide you no longer want to fix it, and then that's cool. But we both said that a thing was a thing. So a lot of times in relationships, even, there's so much that goes unsaid. And so at the very end, I don't know if you watch Insecure, but it's kind of the same thing with with insecure and the relationships on that show and just in, in real life also, if you don't have some space of capacity to call a thing a thing, to call a spade a spade and be willing to deal with whatever comes after that, that is the, the self-building that you have to do. You have to prepare yourself for whatever that person may say because it may rock you, it may shake the table, but that's their truth and you can't make somebody tell you less of the truth so it fits perfect in your world like that's having an unhealthy relationship with reality whatever is going on with that person and they tell you that it's not a personal attack on you they're not they're not trying to hurt you or no one's out to get you the truth is what it is no matter how you flip it it doesn't matter so i feel like if you don't have that capacity in you you cannot ask that of somebody else you know and if we're both, as far as black women and black men, aren't willing to just eat some shit, like, that's what it comes down to. You have to eat some shit. You have to just take it. And and I don't think, in my own experience, I've met too many black women that are willing to take the ugly side of the conversation that's being instigated. I don't. Because what you, what we're doing, and, and black men do this too, I, uh, a lot of times in the way we approach the conversation, you're stripping people of their experience when you project your expectation. Ooh, yes, that's uh, exactly. Because you you're not acknowledging the damage that other black people have gone through. Like you're you're projecting in such a way that's probably not even realistic for your black experience. It's hard to come out of this thing unscathed, man. Like it really is. Like, and I don't think people understand that, bro. It's not to say that you should tolerate bullshit. And we, again, we have such a fucked up concept of grace and boundaries and understanding that we think respect. We think, uh, uh, grace means that you got to accept some bullshit. 
It's all about how you respond to the bullshit. Even if grace is you saying, all right, I'm cool. I'm actually keep you way the fuck over there before I, I, I pop off or something like that. But sometimes that's grace for me. I don't deliver any less crass for anybody. So sometimes it's just like, hey, I'm gonna go ahead and sit this one out and shut the fuck up for real. That's that's all I could do for you. That's the best I could do for you. So like when we instigate these conversations, bro, like it's something I had to realize, especially having the conversations on Twitter. Like, bro, it's really black women out there. Who will argue about how they protect black men. But in these same conversations, they're completely okay with saying hurtful things to me. They're completely okay with invalidating my experience with black women to prove a point. I'm not safe there. Mm. And I have to be prepared for that when I instigate these conversations. And, and and again, like in my experience, black women have approached the conversation, black, whether it's with me or whether I see it on the timeline, whether I've seen it in person, they're not prepared for a nigga to really not give a fuck. And you know what I'm saying? Like if my, my thing with some people, men and women on both sides, if it's, as, if it's as extreme as you're making your experience to have really been, that shouldn't shock you when you come across shit like that. Unless you're projecting. See, that's the thing. That's the part of the conversation that can't be had fully because it's interrupted with, but I, but me, but my cousin, but, 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 and there's so much rebuttal and we don't know how to have a constructive conversation. It's like, when you speak, I stop talking. And then when I'm talking, you stop talking. And that's how we're going to keep this going until we get to a point where we have some kind of understanding and it's not an oppression Olympics and we're not trying to one up each other and see who struggled the most and the black man and the black. And it's like, yo, we both got the shitty end of the stick when we came to this place, when we were stolen and brought to this place and indoctrinated with all of the things that they have given us. They took away our music. It's crazy. The things that they have done over time has been just flat out criminal. So it's like, at this point, I think that's the stronger conversation that should be had. I don't, I'm not interested in uh, male versus female conversations or joining a panel, men versus women. It's like, I'm not trying to argue with you, my nigga. Like, I'm not trying to do that. This is constructively what I feel is a, a path to get to where we need to be. What is your constructive agenda to get to where we need to be? Let's hash out our, our difficulties and our problems and let's move forward and let's move past that. And when we leave here, you better promise me you're going to protect me and I'm going to protect you. It's just like your family members, your siblings. You can talk so much shit about your siblings, but God forbid somebody else say that, you will knock them clean the hell out. So we should be like that about each other. We should be equally protective. We should be equally that critical, but amongst ourselves and not have this performative aspect of let me tell you about yourself. Let me school you. That's not helping anybody. It's, it's just inflating your ego to let people know that you know more than everybody else. And I think just to circle back around and bring it back to Jermaine was that that was the central point is like, hey, guys, like you don't have to talk to anyone like that. You don't have to reprimand anyone publicly. You don't have to chastise them. You don't have to embarrass them publicly to, to call a thing a thing because she got DMs. 
There were so many ways to constructively have that conversation. They could have put out a documentary. They could have went on IG Live. They could have done anything to have a conversation and forward that conversation. But it's because black women are so angry right now. And, and understandably so. We're so angry that it's chaos. We don't know where to put it all the time. So we're putting it everywhere. And we just have to bring it back in and reel it back in and just have a more productive conversation. Guys, I know this has been quite an episode, quite, an episode, quite some emotions, but um, before you get out of here, a question I ask all of my guests is, uh, since this is the Adulting I Hate to Hear podcast, now, your experience as a hip-hop spoken word artist, um, just being traveled, being in different spaces, different things you've learned, do you have an adulting life hack that you can provide to someone else. And what that is simply is just some advice that you can provide someone who would either like to get in your career, your, what is the word? Guys, my mind's going blank because of this damn wine. But listen, <laughs> what advice would you have for someone that's trying to answer the same things that you're doing or that's something you wish you would have known way beforehand and you wouldn't have made so many mistakes? Um, Man, in general, be who you needed as a kid. Um, that's that's why I still pursue my craft because it's the thing that that saved me. You know, I'm I'm charged to it, and and so I'm able to feed my my inner child through this. It's not just about the career; it's about the little boy that wanted to see the world as an artist and and getting to do that and the feeling that that gives me as well as the testimony it allows me to give other people. And so for all of us, it's, it's important that you look at the way you were wounded as a child, because those were the wounds that really started to shape who you were. And, and really that's speaking to your question about when did you accept that role? It really just depends on the wounds. Uh, a lot of times it depends on the influence and, and bumping your head is typically the biggest influence. Um, so you have to address those things and that'll take you a lot further than just picking a career or, or saying you want to be like this thing, you know, cause I, I don't, I don't do this for anybody else primarily, um, because there's so many poems and so many records and songs that people are never here. Like I, I really learned myself through this. Um, so that's what opened up space for me to be able to travel and to be able to, cause it, if you looked at like where I was at in life, when a lot of them things was happening, they don't really match up, you know, and, and your gifts will always make that much room for you. And you've had those gifts in you since you were a child, which is why it's important to go back to those because we're given these gifts for a reason. Um, I don't necessarily consider a talent. I would say curiosity, given your curiosity for a reason. Any any craft you're able to discover yourself in, you're able to learn yourself and heal yourself in, whether you're a painter, whether you're a, a lawyer, whether you're whatever, whatever your craft is, whatever you commit yourself to, you're able to learn yourself in. And um, childhood is the easiest place and probably the, the smartest place. That is actually a great answer because I feel like that's lost. I feel like a lot of that is lost. Like I, my niece, sometimes I talk to her, she listens to the show. Hey, honey bun. But like, you know, what age is grown up? 
when you say when I want I want to do this when I grow up, what age is that? What age do you stop? Yeah. You reach a point where you just know everything. You're smart. You're omnipotent. Like <laughs> you know, you know, you don't know that it doesn't exist. And so it's only when we became adults we realized that didn't exist. And so we were in for a culture shock, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? We were in for a life shock. Because you get to that age where nobody's patting your back anymore. Nobody's proud or disappointed of your grades. No one is, you know, bragging about, you. oh, but my child. And you have a lot of people who are still caught up in that, trying to get that parent approval, you know. And and you could have that relationship even when you love your parents. Like, it has nothing to do with animosity or disdain you have for a parent. It's just you could love your parents to death and you still are freakishly afraid of disappointing them. And so that turns into you not wanting to disappoint other people. That turns into you saying yes when you want to say no. It, it yep. turns into all of those things that you don't learn your own boundaries. So I think I'm, I'm so glad we had this conversation because the centralized point in all of this is really about self. And yep. once we get to that point where you can, you make yourself okay, you make yourself a home so people feel comfortable coming to you. It feels good to be around you in your presence. Make yourself a home, a comfortable home and a whole person. You know what I'm saying? Like like J. Cole was saying, if you're reaching to anyone or anything to feel those boys in you and the moment that they do something that you don't like that doesn't fit perfect in your world, you crucify them, you cancel them, you do all of these things and it's because you let yourself get away with those things. Yep. But when you see it in other people, it's like, you lie. I lie. You lie. Everybody lies for whatever reasons it may be. But when you see someone else lie, you really persecute them because you're like, how dare you lie in a way that people can know you be lying. You should lie better. You know, and yeah. put all of these weird standards on people. And it's it's really boils down to the way that we treat ourselves the things that we do and don't give ourselves that we willingly give other people. And we wonder why we're struggling in those spaces and we can't be authentic and you can't say when something is wrong with you. All of those things play into how we are the way that we are. So like just a quick, quick, like on what you said, like the things we willingly give other people. I think a lot of times we're not really giving those things. I think a lot of times we're violating our boundaries. And we have more tolerance for other people than we have for ourselves. I think that's really the word is just tolerance because it's never comfortable for us. We never enjoy violating our boundaries. It's often exhausting. So it's not like we're giving anything. We're, we're just tolerating because we don't stand firm in our boundaries. We, we don't really stand firm in the no that we saying in our head or that I don't feel like it or I'm too tired to. And we just tolerate more shit because of what we're taught relationship is the, the, the very nature of relationship how we're taught is very performative in nature uh oftentimes family is the only time you you really give room for error uh past childhood and again that's why it's important to go back there because that's when you gave people grace because that was damn near all you knew how to give your your mom would whoop your ass and you go hug her afterwards you know, your your friend will knock your candy out your hand and you like, it's cool. Y'all hug and y'all go play. We have to get back to that. We have to unlearn so much, like, because a lot of times what we have for ourselves is just tolerance. How we feel about ourselves, what, what we what we put our value in, 
it's very circumstantial. It's very performative. Like when you when you're not doing well at your job, when you miss that bonus or, or, or when you didn't get that car that you want or you look up at how old you are compared to what you thought you were supposed to have. We start to beat ourselves up. We start to feel a little less uh, valid. And that's because we tolerate ourselves, you know, and so you're very tolerant of other people. That That's what we give. It's not a love thing. It's not a grace thing because you can't really give what you don't know, what you don't have for yourself. Uh, it's one thing to know the concept of something. And I think we know the concept. I think we know the concept of, of grace and, and relationship. But to really know something is to be able to apply it to the point of manipulation. That's with anything. When you really know something, you're able to put it into into action. And I don't think we know a lot about love by our unwillingness to accept ugliness because there's no space in love for judgment. None. Because it's about acceptance and and you have to accept the totality of something to, to love it. And we don't do that with ourselves. Very we true. don't. We don't really do that with a lot of other people, you know. Um, So uh, so it will go away. If there's something in you that you say, oh, you have to love the ugly. You have to love the things that's not great. It's like, okay, I'm going to love it. I'm going to love my big forehead. I'm going to love it so much. And so I'm going to totally accept it. And you're not. It's phony. You're loving it so it will go away. You're not loving it in its totality. And sometimes when you love a thing that's so ugly, you love it enough, it goes away on its own. But you don't give it the opportunity to do that because you're unwilling to see it. You're unwilling to. And that's that's our black people in general. I'm glad we're kind of circling around. But that's how we feel about America. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's something so dark and sinister about this country that they're just going, we don't know what you're talking about. And that's making us crazy. Yes. But, um, I want to thank you so much for joining me this episode. This thank has been back. really fun, guys. I love sometimes to have these kind of conversations. I know I wasn't able to have it last week, and I've been got, I've, I've gotten a few messages. I hear y'all, okay? Look, I need a moment, too. Um, there was also someone that commented on uh, the page as well that kind of just gave a lot of grace. That was just like, totally get it, girl. Understand. Do what you need to do. Come back. And... Oh, that's not cute. So I, I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate people who do have an understanding and, and do understand that even though you're content creators and you see a photo and you, it doesn't mean that people are okay. It doesn't you see people tweeting, you see people on Facebook, it doesn't mean that everybody is okay. Everybody's doing the best that they can to kind of manage what's going on because there are no answers nobody has the answers so once again i want to thank you so much for stopping where can the people find you um i'm on all social media platforms uh trip fontaine t-r-i-p-p-f-o-n-t-a-n-e um warning if you follow me on twitter i'm a heathen don't let the don't let the the articulate uh nature fool you uh Definitely a heathen. So just know that going in. Hey, man, all the fun people going to hell anyway. But guys, 
Thank you for listening to the show this week. Of course, you can always hit me up on the Twitter machine because I'll be there at I am Queen T. I am Q W E N T E E. Same thing on Instagram. Don't like more than four pictures because what does that even mean? Um, also, follow the YouTube page, subscribe, click the bell, all that good stuff. And I will see y'all next week. Bye.